Good evening, church. We are going to begin tonight's lesson in Matthew chapter 13 here in just uh, just a moment, picking up with our our picking up on our class from um, how to study and and understand the Word of God. Wrong one. <laughs> Turn, turning the loop off here. That's going to come on every now and then. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this blessing tonight to be able to come together to study your word and to grow and to learn. We ask, Lord God, for your guidance and that you would open up our hearts to take your word into our hearts and to allow you to speak to us. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for Jesus, your great son, in whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray and thank thee for me that will. Amen. Okay. If you all, if you all notice I'm drifting to the right tonight, stop me. I've got to go this way. <laughs> okay. So let's pick up with... Um, Tonight, parts of speech is where we uh, left off. So, so figures of speech in the Bible, and we're going to go back to parables and talk about about them. What's interesting about a parable is it's a simple, normal, real life story. Okay, and so I've been uh, today um, was engaging in a conversation with an individual, uh, not from here. Regarding, well, you know, is is hell real? That was the question, and um, and how do we know it's real? And what does the Bible really say about that? And so, you know, you can go to some of the parables Jesus gave us, parables to help us to understand. And a parable is a is a real life story. So he wasn't just grabbing an idea out of the air and then presenting it. He was presenting a very real life story to us, and so. They always present some moral truth. And what's amazing is Jesus used 30 parables. And people think about God and they think, well, you know, God wants me to know the truth. And he does. But if you don't want the truth, he's not going to give it to you. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 13 and verse, verse, verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So, a very logical question. Why are you doing that? Right? Why can't you just tell them plainly? They would ask sometimes, can you just tell us plainly? Well, the message is so special and so unique that God hides his word from those who are going to use it to destroy it. He gives it to some. I mean, you know, some folks get a, a portion of it, but um, he hides his word from people when they're not worthy to receive it, if you will. Uh, because of their lifestyle, their life's choices, and uh, and because of their particular will. God won't give to them the exact same way he told us not to give to others. Remember he said, don't cast a pearl before the swine. So there are some things you hold back, some things you reveal. Some people aren't ready for certain things. I wasn't ready for certain things, so 
it was uh, held back. So I would read this parable and have no idea what it's talking about because God had not, or would not have re- revealed it to me at whatever time. But verse 11 says, And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, again, why not? Well, their hearts are hardened. They don't want to know. And that's sad. But isn't it true? Some people really just don't want to know. And they may ask a question just to be controversial or to use it in an evil way against someone else. I do get those as well, by the way. I get questions. People ask me like, um, you know, a husband and wife will call me up or one or the other. And they may ask me for that certain scriptures. They can beat the other person up. <laughs> I'll give it to them. <laughs> well, you know, that probably won't help. <laughs> we sound talk about it a little bit first, right? Um, look at verse 12. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but not understanding. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart, and this is the issue, right? So is it God is doing this, or is it the heart of man? Here it is. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should be, see, uh, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. Have you ever asked yourself the question, if Jesus were standing like right here and he did a miracle in front of you, how would you respond to it? Like, would you say, wow, that, that was amazing. And so I, I'm going to surrender or um, I believe. Or, how would you respond to that? And then asking that question, how am I responding today? I mean, because I either believe by faith that he did it, or I don't. And if I don't, I'm responding the same way I would have responded if Jesus were in front of me. Either I would have believed it and followed, or I would have gone contrary. What would I have done if Jesus were here today? And he spoke these very words to me. What would I have done? Would my ears have been hardened? Well, it depends on what time of my life that you're talking about. At one point, yeah, probably so. Right? Um, so he told these parables. Luke chapter 10. He told another parable, a very real life parable, because uh, the, when the Jews traveled, they traveled in certain roads. They avoided certain roads. And here in Luke 10 and verse 30, the Good Samaritan, they avoided this way because this was a very treacherous place or, or way to travel. So Jesus says, hey, I want to tell you about a good guy. A good Samaritan. And he begins in verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went off, leaving him half dead. So, who is my neighbor? That was the question, wasn't it? Who is my neighbor? Well, let's see what a good neighbor would be. Right? Who is my, my neighbor? So, Am I going to justify it? 
So guys beaten, well, we'll say, oh, well, he shouldn't have traveled up that road. And this would have never happened. So I'm going to avoid him. Or am I going to go over there and help out in some way, right? Well, who is my neighbor? Verse 31. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So we would say, that's a really good priest, right? And you look at the law and you go, well, based on the law, the priest, you know, he's not supposed to touch a dead body. And, you know, you go through the law and, well, that wasn't the case here. But it was a great justification that he was trying to keep himself pure and clean. And so he didn't want to touch him for that reason. And likewise, a Levite also, uh, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So if you if you were in trouble in Israel <laughs> around these types of priests and Levites, you're not going to make it, right? <laughs> uh, what kind of religion is that, right? Does that speak to us at all? I wonder, right? You think, what is Jesus trying to tell us? Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Remember what the, the Samaritan woman said in John 4? She said, I think it's verse, uh, verse 9. She said, Samar- I'm a Samaritan. How is it that I, being a Samaritan, how do you speak to me knowing that I'm a Samaritan woman? Right? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And yet, Jesus uses a parable and he says, oh, by the way, you know those people that you all call dogs? Let me me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you true religion. Right? It's in them. Right? What? Okay? So he goes on. Um, Then a certain, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into robbers or into the robber's hands? We would have to say, the one that showed compassion. Right? That's the answer. And, and it says that in verse 37, And he said to him, The one who showed mercy, compassion toward him, and Jesus said, Go and do the same. Well, is that how they treated Jesus? <laughs> nope. They never understood the parable. No, they executed Jesus. Right? Where is their compassion? Especially upon a man who was innocent, who had done no wrong. So he's telling these parables to people who uh, will never really get it. They're not really going to understand. And to be honest, they, they really don't care. Turn back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. But those who were listening and willing and ready to understand and do the will of God, they, they got it, right? And then they showed compassion toward their fellow Man, uh, Matthew 13 and verse 31. And he presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in his branches. Well, he's not talking about birds, right? He's saying, hey, you know, if you want to get to heaven, 
there's room for everyone. That's good news, isn't it? Right? Everyone can go. How many folks want to go to heaven? Well, start taking a poll, and the majority will say, well, yeah, I'd like to go there in comparison. And then when you say, but there's a way to get there. Well, I really don't care about how to get there. I just, I just want to be there. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life and do whatever I want to do. And in the end, I'd like to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. So how many times have you been in a Bible study and you said, I just want to talk to you about the greatness of God and the greatness of heaven and the opportunity by God's grace and mercy that he's presented to us to enjoy the eternal, you know, I guess, blissful days of our lives with God in eternity forever and ever. Yeah, talk to me more about that. And then you get down to the end of your study, and they've been agreeable the whole study through. And you go, all you got to do is you have to die, right? The old man has to die, be resurrected, you explain baptism. And then they say, ah, oh, well, I'm not really ready to do that. Right? They weren't listening, were they? Not with the understanding. They didn't really have a desire to be saved. That's sad, but it's true. So Jesus, knowing this, with certain individuals and in certain circumstances spoke to them in parables because he knew they wouldn't listen anyway, right? They would never listen. They would never take into heart what Jesus is trying to teach them. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 and the verse 13. Being as though we don't know who's going to respond or who isn't going to respond, we still need to teach no matter what, right? We teach everyone the same message. Here's a short, short parable. And you might say there's uh, two of them in here, but one in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing or any more except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So, um, yeah, if we use salt or we're attempting to use salt to flavor our food, and that salt has lost its saltiness, that's the proper way of saying that. Yeah, it's good for nothing. You throw, throw the whole thing away. Right? And Jesus is saying that's the same thing that I want you to understand about humanity. There are some people who become worthless. Wow, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? That's what Jesus is teaching. There are some people, his people, some of his people, the Jews, some members of the church, some, and of course, the majority of the world, who have become useless. Not useless for God, because God can use good and evil, right? Proverbs 16 tells us that the God uses the good and the evil to accomplish his will. But imagine being useless to God for the purpose of good. Imagine that. So you are the salt of the earth. So God says use your flavor to bring people to Christ, right? Use your flavor. Use the, that, that which God has given you. Uh, that sustains the world and, and, and gives it, brings about happiness. Be the good Samaritan. Be the person that is a shining light so that when people think of evil and they think of you, they'll say, hey, but that's good. And they'll remember that, right? So he told the parable for ready hearts. Um, the last one in the, in the parable, uh, chapter 7. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I wanted to think about this for just a moment. Would Jesus consider me, or which would Jesus consider me in this text? Do not give what is holy to dogs, 
And do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So imagine that, right? You give someone the Word of God, and then uh, I've, I've seen this, unfortunately, where husband is not a Christian. I can only say husband. It can be both ways. But the husband knows they're marrying a Christian. Christian marries a non-Christian. And the non-Christian knows nothing about the Bible except I'm the man of the house and you can't divorce me unless I commit adultery. So then that husband becomes a terrible tyrant toward that wife and reminds her she can't divorce me, right? What is going on, right? And he takes the word and he makes it say what it doesn't say and he just tears people apart. What is wrong? That's the problem. Be really careful. I've seen it, right? Um, and so they take the word and they, they twist it, and even the Bible tells us that they twist the word and to their own shame, if you will. So some things you got to learn how learn not to say <laughs> to certain people when you're talking to them about the word of God. So parables are, are, are again they're simple, normal, real life stories or illustrations that are true. They're very true, and uh, it, it's good for us to use them when we can. Uh, when we're teaching, but God used them for the purpose of saving souls and for the purpose of concealing his message from those who weren't, weren't ready to hear. God is, God is genius. Turn back to Second Kings, please. Chapter 14. The Bible also uses uh, fables. And so, uh, reading the scriptures, we want to ask ourselves, is this, you know, again, we want to know what kind of language or what uh, figure of speech is being used so we don't take the scriptures out of context and use them uh, in, in an inappropriate way. So a fable, you know, an imaginary, fictitious story is what it is uh, with the purpose of it's going to teach a lesson. Usually a fable will teach a moral lesson, right? So in here, it, verse uh, verse 8 of Second Kings chapter 14, Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face each other. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush, which was in Lebanon, sent out to the cedar, which was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud. Enjoy your glory and stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble so that you, even you, should fall in Judah with you? So, you know, the idea that you're just a little bush and I'm a big cedar, you might not want to do that, right? You're barking up the wrong tree. We might say that, right? You are barking up the wrong tree. And so, uh, how, how true it was. So, uh, Let's go to similes. Matthew chapter 3. So that was a fable. And now Matthew chapter 3. So something that's like something else, right? A simile. A thing or action that's said to be like something else. Of a different kind or even a different quality. But it's like something else. Matthew 3 and verse 16. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove coming upon him. So it doesn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove, right? But what have we done? You think about um, doves today and a lot of religious 
organizations that mean the dove, the Holy Spirit, the representation of the Holy Spirit, right? That's not what, anyway. The idea is to teach us that there is, this is part of uh, the Godhead, that the Father was in heaven and a voice came out of heaven. So the Father's still there. The Holy Spirit is uh, suspended between heaven and earth, if you will, in between. Uh, separate from the Father, individual, independent. And Jesus is on the earth uh, in the water. So it shows that there is, that we have Father, we have Son, and we have Holy Spirit. We see the triune God who is accomplishing his will uh, and placing his blessing upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, But he used a simile in this passage to bring to light, if you will, a, a good, clear understanding. Whether we go um, really, really, really deep into that and start studying about uh, God and you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, obviously. But but studying about God and trying to gain a, a deeper understanding of God, here's a good start. And you know that even though God is is one, right, but he possesses, you know, separateness, if you will, where there's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, too, that it relates to us in so many ways, that we are made in the image of God. So in what way is that? That we also, though we are one, we are three in one, right? Body, soul, spirit. Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, you know, it's just, you can, again, that's a whole different study. And we've, we've done that just a little bit. Uh, but here's a simile that's being used. And it's it used properly. It teaches us a great message about God. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation is full, of course, of, of similes. Chapter 13. And, and when you're reading it, it's important when you're talking to people, when they say, yeah, see, this is, this is the end of the world. This is the Armageddon. This is the that. And, and you read it and you go, well, let's take a look and see what it really is saying to us. Is God speaking of an actual thing or is this a simile that God is using in this passage? Revelation 13 and verse 2. And the beast, the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave his power or gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And so when you read that, you say, okay, so what are we talking about? We're talking about power and strength, right? Intelligence. When you read about, you're like the face of a man and of an eagle and a bear and a lion and an ox. We're just, we're talking about things that God has blessed these animals to bring to the world, whether it be strength or, or then you've got humans, whether it be intelligence, whether it be vision, just things that God has done. So a simile, really, really important over and over throughout uh, the book of Revelation. But also in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 1 and, and verse 18 is another great passage for uh, a simile that God uses in, in the Scriptures to teach a lesson, to invite people to salvation, right? And so he makes a, if you will, he has a thought, a comparative speech or a comparative thought in here. Verse 18 he says, Come now and let us reason together. So here are these great questions, right? The great questions. Says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, question, are your sins as scarlet? And the sins red and crimson, just, yes, okay? They will be as white as snow. Complete contrast, right? How is that possible? How can God take a man who has, has full of sin 
And then all of a sudden, take that same man, and, and then his, his sins, his, his mind, his life, is as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be like, like wool. How is God going to take us from impurity to purity? Right? Only God can do that. Right? He said, let's reason this out. You can't do it. This is the implication. You cannot. We do not have the power to do this, but God does. And that's the comparison. That's the idea in this, in this passage here. Um, Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus now, right? Jesus, the great Savior of the world. Uh, another simile is given to us. Uh, all of us, verse 6. All of us like sheep. And how many times has the Bible said that we're like sheep, right? Humans are like sheep. So a good way to get to know more about yourself is to go study sheep. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those studies you start and then you close the book. Say, oh, that's, that's not me. And you think, okay, yeah, I've done it before. And then you open the book again. That was stupid. Oh, wait, I closed the book again, right? We're like sheep. Um, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. Again, who's going to make it right? Who's going to fix it? Who's the only one who can fix it? Is Jesus. All the iniquity of us all, that which was red and that which was scarlet, falls on Jesus, right? He made it all to fall on Jesus. So though we're like sheep. So, um, a simile. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Now we want to look at a, a phrase um, which is said to be something else because of a likeness that is involved. So we're looking at a metaphor. One might say, hey, metaphorically speaking, blah, blah, blah. And they give uh, an example. We're going to um, Luke chapter 13 calling one thing by another word or more. So a descriptive figure. So like when you're talking about a person, and you might say, oh, yeah, that, well, in fact, let's read the passage. Luke, uh, where are we? Chapter 13, verse 31. 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees came up, saying to him, go away and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to him, go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. So, how was Herod a fox? Well, he was a sly creature. <laughs> you know, he was not to be trusted. Herod was, Herod was a very, very slick, corrupt individual. So Jesus just calls him a fox. Tell that fox. So, he would have heard that and have been insulted. And Jesus would tell the truth about him and say, you're just a sly fox, right? And we use that same terminology with, uh, with people today that are really smooth and slick. People say, watch out for that person, right? They're bad news. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, so a metaphor. Jesus used the metaphor. Another metaphor that I want to grab, uh, we do it every first day of the week. Matthew 26 in verse 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So we hold in our hand the bread, 
we know that we know that transubstantiation is not happening, right? That's a word that was applied in Catholicism, right? That the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus Christ in your hand. It transforms, and then you put it into your mouth, you're eating his flesh from John chapter 6. That's, that's not what is being taught. But through the eye of faith, through the eye of faith, this, this loaf is so precious. It is so critical, critically important. It is so unique it's the body through the eye of faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you consume this bread, it's not like any other bread that you're consuming. It is a proclamation of Jesus who died and was buried and rose again. You know, so when you eat, it's very unique when you're eating it. So it has a, a mental connection that is separated from your normal um, mindset when it comes to eating food, a plate of food, and you go, wow, here's a hamburger. When you have that loaf in your hand, that loaf, that piece of cracker, if you will, becomes in your mind something that's uniquely, significantly special, right? More than anything else, and it's different. It's not to um, satisfy your hunger cravings. It's to satisfy your hunger cravings. What am I talking about? Not the physical, but the spiritual. Right? And that's what's key. So, again, Jesus is using a metaphor in, uh, in this particular passage about the Lord's Supper. And what a beautiful blessing this is for all of us. Now, what about the, one of the ones that we use, the, an allegory? And we, we, we use it all the time. Ephesians chapter 6. We talk about this so often in our regular, everyday conversation, the sword of the Spirit. You know, you just, you imagine this, this, um, this soldier. And then you are supposed to be the soldier who is arming himself and herself for battle. So an allegory is, is the same as a, a metaphor in one sense or another, but it's extended, right, to this, to complete the story, if you will. You know, it's a great illustration. And, and so what, what the writer wants us to know is he wants us to identify uh, all the particular parts, but you have this idea of inference in there. But it leaves you room to infer things, right? But from the truth. You have to get it from the truth first. And then you, you can infer some things from it. You infer some type of truth. So Ephesians 6, beginning at verse... Um, I'm going to start at verse 10. I think the slide begins at 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, there's a, something that's really important. Because in the text, when you go back to Gideon, Gideon says, uh, God says to Gideon, Go in this your strength. I'm thankful God didn't say that to us, right? No, and he says, you're a great warrior. And Gideon was like, I'm not a great warrior. But anyway, he says, go in the Lord's strength, which thank you, God, for that. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So imagine that, right? You know, if you were in the military and you start putting on your armor, everything changes when you start putting on your armor. You don't think about um, when you put on your LBE, your LCE, um, just that alone, you, you, you are now weight-bearing. I mean, now you're carrying, you've got hand grenades, you have, you have uh, live ammo that uh, is in your, in your pouch now. You usually try to get at least six... Uh, cartridges in your 20 round cartridges in your your lce and then you have your your water canteen on one side and you have uh, your shovel on i I can go on and on about all the stuff that you put on and you put that on you're like and now you have weight now you're bearing all this weight 
And that's just the LCE. It doesn't include the rest of the stuff, you know, that you put on. And God says, if you're going to fight against Satan, you're going to need to put that on every day. You need to wake up, and the first thing you're going to do is going to put that on. And then now we have added to that, that LBE in the back, you have a solid slot. And up front, you have a solid slot for your, um, you know, so that way you can become bulletproof, right? You put that armor, put that lead in there, drop it down. Now you're bearing even that much more weight but you need it, right? And so you do it with joy because you know that, number one, you're going to need this to fight the enemy. Uh, number two, you're going to need this for your own protection. So you, you put all this on, and you've got your, you, you know, you, you have your, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. Okay, God says that's what Christians have to do every day. Every day, we have to put on our armor. What would you think that would be? How would we put the armor on? So again, we're leaving it to inference now. So now uh, the preacher can infer lots of ideas, you know, and you're the preacher. So you infer a lot. What are you putting on today? I'm going to first put on prayer. And I'm going to get up. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, God, please help me with, with this, you know, this battle that I'm, I'm going through. And then you're going to, you'll be ready to go. You're ready in your arm, right? No, not yet. Put the word in you now. Get some word in you. Lord, give me some strength because I don't know what I'm going to face when I, you know, when I pull out of this driveway. So give me some strength, please, Lord. And you put the word in you. Get a bunch of the word in you. And so you, you've talked to God and now God's talking to you. And so, okay, thank you, God, so through his word. And so you put those on and you say, okay, now I'm ready, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I forgot something. I'm going to go back in prayer. You know, Lord, oh, by the way, Lord, forgot to ask you about this. Or whatever it is, you have to arm yourself because you know that Satan is coming and you are going out of your doors or, if you will, you're even waking up and the enemy's out there, right? And we have to be able to see the fact, the simple fact, that there's an enemy every day that Satan has that he's using to, if you will, to lead us astray, right? Think about that every single day day. Are you ready? We don't know who the enemy is though, right? We don't know. So you might wake up and receive a text. And nowadays you could do cyberbullying, right? You go, oh, they said it again and now your whole day is messed up, right? I don't know. <laughs> Who's your enemy? Well, you might turn your favorite show on first thing in the morning. It might, and it might set, your, set you on the road of evil and sin. I, I don't know. I don't know who the enemy is. Yet, you know, kind of identify your, your enemy. So later on, the, the, the armor is going to help you to identify the enemy more and more and more. So the first thing he wants us to understand is that the reality is we're not really fighting this, this huge entity. We're not fighting the world powers on this earth, and we're not fighting the governments on this earth, and we're not fighting, we're just, we're just fighting, we're fighting our own mental issue, and we're fighting against the spiritual warfare, right? So if you, if you imagine, look at verse 12 for a moment. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world force of this darkness, against the spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if you can imagine for just a moment, as the snow falls down and, and you imagine, okay, what if the snowflakes in your mind are like, are like spiritual demons, you know, I know, I know, I'm pushing it, but when you go back to Daniel chapter 10, remember Daniel 10 when he was praying, and he, he, he prayed the first day, and, and then God, it took 21 days, and the angel came down, and Gabriel came to give him a message and said, I've been fighting a battle trying to get to you. It was a 21-day war, 
And I needed help. And I said, God, I can't do this. I really need your help. Showed you how powerful God's angels are, right? God's angel, one angel, beating up a bunch of guys for 21 days. But then, you know, Michael comes down, helps Gabriel out, says, okay, Gabriel, get down there and give Daniel the answer. And then Daniel's there, and then Daniel falls out like a dead man. Angel lifts him up and says, okay, I need to tell you what God wants you to know. And then God tells him, and he says, I got to go back and help Michael finish his war, right? And you go, what is going on? It's a spiritual battle. Now, how does that spiritual battle look today? I don't know. But I know the Bible's telling us, even in the New Testament, from old to new, that there's a spiritual war going on. And that Satan's not finished yet. Right? And, he, and he's not omnipresent, so he's used a bunch of demons. And they're trying to... I know, right? And, he, and where, where are those demons at? Where are they? We can't see them. Right? We can't see them. But, but if you think about the demon world and demonology, I mean, it doesn't just exist, if you will, in the air. It exists in the hearts of man, right? And, and not just in the hearts of man. I mean, it's you can see it everywhere, right? Everywhere. Subliminal messages and, and just evil influences. It's everywhere. And so Satan says, God says rather, keep your eyes open when you put on your armor because you need your mind to be sharp because you're going to go through it every day. So then he goes on. Look at verse 13. He goes on in this, in this um, allegory. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Now, that's really important because if you, you know, back in the military, you know, we would sometimes you put those armor plates in there and they're heavy and you go, I think I'm going to leave this one. I'm, it's too heavy today. You know, you just, and you take a part of your, a portion of your armor. Or maybe you don't bring enough water in your canteen. You know, you go, well, I'm just, I think I need a whole full canteen. Just, I'm going to leave my canteen behind. You can't leave anything behind. And I know it's cumbersome, right? It makes us a little clumsy. That's why we train and practice in this, in this gear so that you can become used to it. You can't take up a part of God's armor. You need it all. Right? Satan seeks out our most vulnerable spots, if you will. Look at what he says in verse uh, 14. So he tells us to stand in verse 13. And then he says again in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your loins with... Uh, truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and not just the upper body, right? But you also need to cover your feet, right? The whole body. You need to charge your feet with the the preparation of the gospel of peace, preparedness. How many times have you heard a sermon where someone say, um, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, right? And so God says, okay, every day, is a day of preparation. You gotta put on your armor, and you gotta take care of your feet too. Because the enemy, once he sees your feet are exposed, what he's gonna do is shoot you in the feet. Right? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I shoot in those days. Well, I mean, with an arrow, you know, stab you in the feet with a sword in your foot. Right? And then he has the advantage. He has the upper hand. God says, you gotta cover everything up because Satan is relentless. It tells us that this enemy is, is without compassion. This enemy is without mercy. It tells us that this enemy is ruthless and willing to do anything to become victorious over your soul, right? So it gives us an allegory, right? And then he goes on, the next verse, verse 16. In addition, we're not finished yet. He said, but Lord, I'm full. No, not yet. No, you got, you need more. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Oh yeah, I got up a shield. It's important. Shield of faith in which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And so, you gotta have a, now what kind of shields? 
important shield because the the Romans would shoot arrows at you and they would you know get with a type of you know uh, flammable if you will on arrow and they next thing you know you're on fire right and they light it on fire and then they shoot you with it so you gotta have a certain kind of shield to protect against that right so see, God is saying look it's about be prepared for the battle that is before you be ready be ready every single day put on the all of the armor and make sure you're good. You go, okay, God, I have my sword, my sword, my spear, my breastplate of righteousness. I'm covering the front and the back. I got my thighs covered now. My loins are covered. My feet are covered. I'm ready to go. And then God says, see, and you forgot again. Where did I forget, Lord? You need a helmet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need my cavalry. I forgot about that, right? And so then he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? Can we do anything without Jesus? Nope, right? But we try. I know I've tried. I'm going to come right back to the starting spot again, right? And it's a long way. If you go way over there and you forget and you got to come back, you don't want to come back. So just take Jesus with you so you don't have to come back, right? Put on that Kavalah. Put on the, on the helmet of salvation and make sure you have the sword. So this soldier, we have pictures depicted, right, of this soldier with all this gear on. It's heavy stuff, right? But we're at war Every single day. And when a Christian says, well, I don't really feel like I'm I'm at war. That tells us, through this allegory, that you aren't living probably in a way that is definitive, if you will, so that people will recognize you as being a child of God. That's what Peter did. They found out that um, Peter was one of Jesus' people. Peter found a way out by becoming more like the world in his speech and the things that he said, denying the Lord. And so every day, it doesn't, I'm not saying that every day we're being persecuted in no way, shape, or form. But let's think about the little teeny things that count. Like, you ever gotten up in the morning and maybe you're running behind schedule and you forgot to do what? You ever forgotten to pray? Was that not Satan at work? Because you were so busy to start your day, and you started your day without Jesus. That's not a wise idea. But how many times has it happened? Right? Or maybe you're just so tired at night, you run all day, and you're so, so, so tired, and you go to sleep, and you forget to pray at night. Just, just fell asleep. I just fell asleep. I didn't pray early enough in the day. I didn't think about it for just a moment soon enough, early enough, before I became so tired to pray, I just I just fell asleep. I forgot about the Lord. You ever started eating your, your meal? You know, you get down and, oh, I only have 30 minutes to eat. And so you grab it and you open your hand and take a bite, and you forget to pray, <laughs> right? You ever had to pray with food in your mouth? You know, you keep your mouth open, so <laughs> right? Uh, just real stuff, right? All right, we'll come back. We'll pick up with... Uh, another allegory. In, in a few moments, we're going to have a, a devotional. The lesson tonight is yours. I thank you for your for your time. Um, we'll have an invitation if you have a need of some sort. Uh, as you make that known, we'll pray together, right? We'll pray with you and uh, pray for you to give you the strength and energy to continue to fight the good fight of faith. And finally, in closing, we're all in this together, right? So remember each other 
in uh, in prayer. God bless you all. Thank you for your time tonight.